Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 97. Today we're talking about healing your body, balancing your emotions, and restoring your vitality through the fourth trimester with Kimberly Johnson. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives and to take family and life to a new level of peace and cooperation. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the mom of two girls, ages 7 and 10. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. I'm so glad you are here. This conversation with Kimberly Johnson is very powerful, and it is for all of us to listen to. I think this is really important information that the world needs to hear, that especially women need to hear, and there's some lost wisdom that we need to regain and get out into the world. And so I'm going to be talking with Kimberly Johnson. She's a birth doula, somatic experiencing practitioner, and sexological body worker, postpartum advocate, and she's a single mom. She's the author of the new book, The Fourth Trimester, A Postpartum Guide to Healing Your Body, Balancing Your Emotions, and Restoring Your Vitality. 
And you're going to learn from our conversation that there are big problems with the way we handle birth and the postpartum period that are leading to long-term problems for moms. It was an eye-opener for me. You're going to learn that we have unrealistic expectations about the fourth trimester, healing is slow, and you're going to learn about the five universal needs that are really necessities and not luxuries. So I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Before we dive in, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for your ears. And I want to let you know that this is the end of the year. We are getting to the end of 2017. Hey, if you're in the future, welcome. Nice to hear you. If this is your first episode, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But I just want to let you know before we dive in the conversation that I am taking applications for one-on-one coaching and group coaching in 2018 now. Now is the time to schedule a call with me. Your first call is totally complimentary. We get to see if it's a good fit. And I can't say enough about how coaching has transformed my life, working with somebody to give me the accountability, the reflection, the wisdom that I need to take my life to the next level has been invaluable and has affected everybody in my life so, so positively. And my clients say the same. So I invite you to go and see what they have to say for it. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes we think, oh, like if this is the first time we've done something like that, this isn't for me. But it's funny. A lot of my clients are very regular folks, you know, teachers and nurses and everything. So I invite you to check that out under mindfulmamamentor.com slash work with me. And now on to this episode. Welcome, Kimberly, back to the Mindful Mama podcast. Our listeners did not hear the first conversation because unfortunately we had a really sad data loss. I was so sad, but I'm so thrilled that you're able to come back to the Mindful Mama podcast and talk to us again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. So your book is called The Fourth Trimester and Healing Your Body, Balancing Your Emotions, and Restoring Your Vitality. So some people don't even know what is the fourth trimester. So can you explain first, what is the fourth trimester? Sure. So the fourth trimester, just like we have the three trimesters when the baby's in our body, The fourth trimester is the period of time after we have a baby. Some people define it as three months as another trimester. Some people define it as nine months. But it's the period of time after we have a baby when just like as we're pregnant, we have special needs. Our body has necessities at that time that it doesn't have at other times. The same is true after we have a baby. And the tenet of the book is that if we take care of women and we take care of babies during this period of time, but specifically women, this book is about new mothers, then we'll be able to restore wholeness on an individual level. That mother has the chance to become more radiant and healthier, actually. And as a result, so does the family and the relationship and the community. Mm. What we see is usually the opposite. So it's hard for people to even conceptualize what that could look like because right now the postpartum period is just associated with isolation and depression and a time that you want to get through fast and get back to how you were before. But this book is really a call to maturation and a call to the evolutionary possibility 
that if we really pay attention to what women need at this time, that we have a chance to move in a direction that our community and planet need anyway. So what are we getting wrong? Because you're absolutely right the way you describe it. Like people want to just kind of get through the postpartum period. We want to get back to life. We want to feel better. We want the boo-boo the size of a dinner plate in our bodies to heal. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I remember myself, I wanted to, you know, I was like, I probably moved too much and tore my stitches because I just... It's hard for me to sit still. So how are we, first, I want to hear about your five universal needs during this time, but first I want to hear about how are we getting it wrong with some of the ways that we do it right now? Well, as you know, from your own experience and from the women I'm sure that you work with, we all have very unrealistic expectations about timing and about how the timing of the body works because universally, whether we're postpartum or not, the mind is much faster than the body. And so every woman who comes into my office, whether they're three weeks postpartum or five years postpartum, feels they should be farther along than where they are in their actual healing process. So one is an adjustment of expectations and not only a realization that this process is a rite of passage that requires very specific things, but also a desire to be in that rite of passage. So we have to, in some ways, sequester ourselves from the mainstream messages that we hear. You know, if you watch celebrity pregnancies, it's just how much weight they gain, how much weight they lose, and then how soon they are back at work. And we've all sort of, most women have done a version of that to themselves. And So we're getting it wrong on a societal level by not giving women enough maternity leave but and families paternity leave because if a woman has just had a baby and knows that she has to get back to work so soon, it's very hard to relax and be in your parasympathetic nervous system when you've got a a very tight time frame. But the other thing is that we just treat it like it's any other time. So we don't understand just like we do with our menstrual cycles, we don't understand that there are specific nutritional needs, specific exercise needs. And if we were to maximize those and really roll with our cycle, we wouldn't have the strong mood shifts and symptoms. But because we try to treat it all like everything's equal, then we have these erratic hormonal swings and physical difficulties. Then It sounds radical in this country because we value masculine energy so much. We value productivity. We value independence. And what the postpartum period is asking is for us to change not only our values, but also to learn how to do these new values. Because it's not like you can just say, oh, yeah, I believe in getting help and then snap your fingers and be able to ask for it if we've never asked for help and we've never been vulnerable and had to rely on someone else to take care of us, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard for me to be taken care of. I can totally relate to that. So you looked at how people are taken care of in the fourth trimester all around the world, right? And you found five universal needs. So, you know, if we are having unrealistic expectations, we're kind of too much in the masculine and we treat it like it's any other time, what are the needs in this period that we're not even seeing? Well, the first one that's 
the really the foundational one. And if we had a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's at the bottom of the triangle. It's the one that's the non-negotiable and that you can have all other of the four, but if you don't have this one, then the other four can't overcompensate for it, which is deep rest and extended rest. So all over the world, women have a 30 to 45 day lion period where female relatives take care of them. So in India, women leave their house and go back to their husband's house. I mean, go back to their own mother's house. They leave that their marriage house. In Korea, Hong Kong, China, lots of aunts and mothers and mothers-in-law come and take shifts to take care of the new mom. So that's really the basic one is that for that 40 days, sometimes 30, sometimes 45, in Mexico, it's called the cuarentena. All over the world, those periods of time have special names, sitting in the nest, sitting out the month, that we would adopt that and really stick to it. You know, what American women do is go to Target and go grocery shopping and run around and try to get back to the gym as soon as possible. Try to go to walk. I've had women tell me that three days postpartum, they walked from their apartment to the local coffee shop. They got to the coffee shop and they basically couldn't walk home. They knew like, well, I just like expended everything that I had and I like there's too much. And so really observing this period of time where mostly you're resting and people are cooking for you. Uh, you have something set up so that someone else is straightening up your house and that you don't have to go out. And that includes for treatments. So even a lot of people who do know about the lion but are feeling anxious or feeling like they want to get healthy again, then that version of it is go to acupuncture, go to chiropractory, take your baby to the pediatrician, you know, all of these things that are going out, driving and doing. And when people try to schedule with me before six weeks, if I feel that they really have a need for me, then I will go to their house, which is, I'd stopped doing house calls a long time ago, but that's how strongly I feel about women not leaving their house for that period of time. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. 
I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. That sounds like, I mean, from this point of view, I think, and now that my daughters are 10 and 7, that sounds kind of cool, but a little hard to imagine. And But I'm not sure like my 29-year-old self would have said, would have been okay with resting. And maybe it's just because I just have a lack of education about it or a lack of understanding. And I definitely did then. I mean, I even had my daughters in like a birth center, you know, all very naturally and things like that. But there wasn't nobody well there was the instruction to be like a mermaid for a little while but like (laughs) (laughs) but I don't think anyone told me I never even came across at all the idea of resting for 30 days yeah it's interesting because were you a yoga practitioner back then too yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, because in the yoga tradition you know it's very strong especially in the kundalini tradition but in Ayurveda it's called the sacred window Mm. definitely But this is the thing that even, and that's why I was so shocked by my own birth experience was I was a yogi for a long time and I knew a lot about my body and I just couldn't believe how motherhood was so left out of, like, how could I have an entire practice that touched so many aspects Mm -hmm. of me, but had nothing to do with womanhood or motherhood? Zero. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had no information to offer me in my toolkit. It was all genderless and spirit oriented. So I agree that it is maybe what you're saying is a tough sell. And what you said is so much what so many people say to me. I recorded a book trailer, which I'll give you the link for so the listeners can see it. It's just a minute and a half, really beautiful. It is. I watched it. It's cool. (laughs) About what the postpartum period could feel like. I wanted it to really have the feeling of what that time period is like because it's a very special time and if you listen to it you mean you have access to realms that we don't have access to otherwise there is a sort of very slow languorous golden quality as the birth energy is still figuring out how to recalibrate so of course that's the million dollar question of the book too it's like how to make people care about this who aren't already out of this period of time right because Mm -hmm. when you're finished with it 
you're like, oh yeah, that would have been good. You know, <laughs> now that I have an autoimmune disorder and my pelvic organs feel like they're going to fall on the floor and I'm having painful sex. Yeah. Resting probably would have been good. But at the time it's very challenging. So in this video, I had a new mom that came and then I had a pregnant woman who came and they were sitting on the bench outside of my dome. And the one who had had a baby who was like eight months postpartum was just going, Oh my God, I wish I would have known this. I totally would have hired somebody, you know, my mom's not around and I needed someone. And you could tell the pregnant woman was sitting there going, she like, whatever she doesn't like, she needed that, but I don't need that. I wouldn't need that. And it's just so hard to talk to pregnant women about anything other than birth. It's like the consciousness of a pregnant woman ends at the birth scenario. And therefore, in my book, I have the whole first section is for pregnant women to read about how to build a postpartum plan. Just like you have a birth plan, you really need a postpartum plan. Postpartum lasts a lot longer than a birth lasts. And there's a lot more that goes on during it that's really important to think about ahead of time so that if you are having a hard time, which everybody has a hard time sometimes, that you know where the resources are and how to source your community for what you need. Mm. So what are some of the results of, I mean, I guess we didn't touch on this and this is something I think we need to talk about too, is like, what are some of the results, the long-term effects of the way that we do, the way we currently mishandle the fourth trimester? Well, I just mentioned some of them. So on a physical level, it's, prolapse. So your organs not staying where they need to stay. And so this is another cultural problem. And we don't see in India and China and places where life force is taken seriously, where life force is a thing, there's a word for it. And people understand chi, they understand prana. There's a long view of health that how we are now affects how we are when we're older. And we don't really have that. I mean, we have that with really obvious stuff like smoking, but we don't have that with if you, yeah, maybe you're up and about five days postpartum and you feel great and you're out two weeks later at your coffee shop and back at your prenatal yoga class in three weeks and everything seems fine. And then you have incontinence when you're 55. People don't relate it to the earlier behavior. And we don't, we're not good at thinking ahead. So we're just like, well, whatever, deal with it then. Mm-hmm. But when you're 55 and having incontinence, you're certainly not feeling that way. So we don't think about our longevity and how our life force is going to be impacted. But that, you know, okay, so even I'm hearing myself saying that and I'm like, people don't care about that. And they're probably like, won't even remember by the time they get there. But most immediately, I mean, if you start exercising too soon, you are compromising your organ placement. Many people come to me six months postpartum and they weren't prolapsed after the birth. They're prolapsed because they started running at six weeks or eight weeks and now they've got terrible back pain and their body just wasn't ready yet. They didn't have the core strength to engage in the kind of movement that they wanted to engage in. Mm. But conversely, so the physical stuff, Depression, isolation, one out of every seven women is on antidepressants now post-birth. One out of every 12 women has Hashimoto's diagnosis post-birth. So we're seeing tons of autoimmune disorders that are coming on, if you want to call it, say it like that. What Post- is Hashimoto's? Hashimoto's is a thyroid autoimmune condition. Okay. And 
you know, there's a 67% marital satisfaction decline after the first baby. So these are all results of poor care. Mm. Just plain and simple. A birth experience can push you over a threshold into the expression of if there's a partially genetic component of an autoimmune disease condition. But if women were really taken care of during the fourth trimester, there wouldn't be a chance for that to express. Mm, Oh my gosh. Well, I want to hear, we'll get to the other five universal needs, the other four, but I hear the passion in your voice about this. And I know a little bit more of your story about why this is such a deep and impactful thing for you in your own life. But I feel like I would love to you know, if you don't mind sharing some of your own story about your own experience in the fourth trimester and how this all came home to you so personally. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my story's all over the place right now. Maybe that's just because I'm talking about it a lot. I'm happy <laughs> to share it, but I think people, if they really want to hear it, there's a lot of different ways. It's in the first part of my book. I've recorded so many podcasts and that's the main Everybody wants to hear it because that's, and you know, frankly, that's why people come to me as a practitioner because they have hope that they can heal because I did. Yeah. Yeah. We learn through stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I was a longtime yoga practitioner and a rolfer. I didn't mention that, but I was a body worker for a lot of years before I became pregnant. And I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to have a baby. I always wanted a home birth. And so I set myself up for all those things. And I had a birth that was relatively smooth. I was 42 weeks and five days. So that's a long time to be pregnant, but I was cool with that. I kind of imagined that I would be pregnant for a long time because my mom was. And then I had a tear during the birth process and the material that my midwife stitched me with, my body rejected. So my tear didn't heal correctly. And as a result, I had all kinds of symptoms like fecal incontinence, which is when you poop in your pants without knowing you have to go to the bathroom. I had really bad back pain and SI joint pain. I was, everything was just very sore. I couldn't sit for about two months. And as a result of that injury, a lot of other things were difficult, like breastfeeding because I couldn't sit and I couldn't walk very well. So I couldn't make myself the amount of food that I needed. And I like describing most women, I was like those women. So I didn't know anything about this. And I've said all over the place, my postpartum plan was my breast in a sling. I just thought, why would I need anything else? And I didn't realize I lived in another country. I lived in Brazil. I just moved there. I didn't speak Portuguese well. My daughter's father doesn't speak English. I didn't have friends because I moved from an island to a city in order to have a baby because on the island there were no more midwives. So I just found myself in sort of the darkest kind of situation with no support. So I didn't have anyone to make food for me. So I wasn't eating enough. So I wasn't making enough breast milk. So my daughter was really fussy and my body was hurting and I didn't know what to do about it. And I was a yoga teacher at the time and I was the breadwinner. So I kind of needed to go back to work, but it was sort of impossible considering I was in physical pain. So I couldn't demonstrate and then I couldn't really speak well. So I was sort of at a loss for which medium to use to teach with. And so at that time I was told that I needed a full pelvic floor surgical reconstruction. Wow. And 
I have never had surgery besides a tonsillectomy, which wasn't my choice anyway. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting pelvic floor surgery. So I went on a search to heal myself and it was so hard to find information. So hard, like Mm -hmm. hundreds and thousands of Google searches of holistic postpartum care, alternative postpartum care. It took me three years to even find a book on postpartum care. So eventually I decided to move back to the U.S. because I just couldn't find the resources and support I needed in Brazil. And I realized I needed to be closer to my family. And over that period of time, I found a person who's now my mentor, Ellen Heed, and I received three sessions of internal pelvic floor work. And over the course of those sessions, my diastasis knit back together. I had a separation of my frontal abdominal wall that knit back together the scarred tissue softened. And so my vaginal opening went back to its normal shape because it was pulled asymmetrically from the scar. And my pain went away. Wow. And then right away, lots of women started telling me their stories about their own bodies and ways that their bodies were never the same again after they had a baby, like their tailbone always hurt or sex was always painful and they were avoiding it. And they weren't sure why because they had a cesarean or they weren't sure why because the birth itself was okay, but now they were having pain. And I just realized this is a black hole in women's health and it's so hard to get help. And I thought, okay, well, I have to do this work because people are already coming to me. So I have to figure out a way to help women. And so that's really where the book comes from is putting together the information that I wish that I would have had that Mm -hmm. I was actively searching for. I mean, I wasn't searching for it when I was pregnant, so I don't think I probably would have read it while I was pregnant but I was certainly searching for it immediately after. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously, it's so needed. Wow. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your story again, because it's an intense and hard hitting. And I think that a lot of us can relate with maybe if not just relate with that feeling of being, I don't know, just feeling like, yeah, wanting more support, wanting those things that we need that we don't, where no one is telling us that we need these things. No one is supporting us just like no one is supporting you. It's kind of shocking and amazing. It just boggles my mind that like uh, completely as a culture, how we are so completely neglecting women at this time, because it really is true. Like it all the attention turns to the baby when the baby is born and for the women, for everything, it's like everything stops there and we forget about us, you know, completely. Yeah. When you start to realize how profound the right kind of support could be and what things could look like, because when, so the Ayurvedic doula tradition, they don't have any formal research, but they have some informal research. And I spoke to some of the Ayur doulas themselves. And what they told me was that one of them said to me, of all the women I've worked with, and she's worked with hundreds of women over the last 10 or 15 years, there's only one that had postpartum depression of all of the women that she worked for. But what this means is that she's a postpartum doula and she's traditional Ayurvedic postpartum doula. So she goes to the woman's house five to seven days a week, cooks Ayurvedic food that's specific to that person's dosha and that person, the time of year, the season that's happening. The food in the first couple of weeks is cleansing food that's easy to digest so that the body can continue the elimination process. And then it switches over to being rebuilding foods that, ha- that are collagen-dense, mineral-rich, all freshly made, nothing frozen. 
And then the woman gets body work three to five times a week. So she gets abhyanga, which is oil massage. So it's like detoxifying, completing the elimination process of all of the hormonal shifts. And you have somebody that is spiritual and emotional support that will sit with you and answer your questions. No new mom should be alone with a newborn all day long. And that's why a lot of women are going out because they're lonely. And that's the only way to encounter other people. And we don't have a tradition in the U.S. to drop by other people's houses. It's considered kind of rude. Most people don't like it. So because we have this thing about privacy, if somebody's feeling lonely or stir crazy, they're going to have to go out. But if you had somebody coming to your house, tending to your body, tending to your family, if you have older kids, you need help taking care of of those kids, but maybe they're not in school yet, or maybe you want them with you during this special time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a real opportunity in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. They say that women can heal during this time. So this time is so special. It's so, the veils are so thin. The system is so open that women can heal lifelong illnesses. There's a Chinese medicine doctor who wrote a beautiful book called Reflections of the Moon on Water. And she tells her own story in that book. And part of it is that she had chronic migraines before she had a baby. But after delivery, her husband, who's also a Chinese doctor, wrapped her head with ginger and like tightly wrapped her head for all 40 days. And she never had migraines again after that. So there's a way that the system can actually be fortified and built up. And women could come out of the fourth trimester stronger, more radiant, more convicted, but of course, that's nothing like what we see. We see people just trying to survive it and most of the time ending up with more problems. Yeah. So you touched on right there, like the two, three more of those five universal needs that you talk about, like nourishing food, loving touch, and the companionship of wise women. And it's interesting now I'm thinking back, of course, to my own experience and, and the idea of rest. And while I'm kind of a, I'm one of those pers- people who has a lot of energy and I need to get my yayas out, like I like to move. But during that time, my mom came and lived with us or stayed with us for eh, maybe a three weeks, right? At least. And she took care of the house. She took out the garbage. She made me food and she... I had the companionship of a pretty wise woman. She's a hospice nurse, right? And she has some wisdom. I had some of those things in that rest part. You know, I remember with my first daughter, like just, I was kind of a a reluctant co-sleeper and I was like a little worried about it, but it ended up being so wonderful for us for getting rest. We actually ended up, it was funny because we tucked the sheets down halfway so they could only come up to our waist. (laughs) So we spent like all night trying to like reflexively pull up our sheets. We couldn't, but we wanted to keep the baby safe. But anyway. So we had her in the bed and I would just roll over and nurse and fall asleep. And then we would eventually we would flip over to the other side and fall asleep. And I would end up sleeping like till 930 in the morning because of the interrupted sleep, but just kind of like extend my morning really long. And I and it actually ended up for, I remember thinking that the first three months was a really restful time, at least for, with my first baby, because 
I could just sleep as late as I wanted and just hang out and cuddle and nurse my baby. And that was really nice. So I'm, and now I'm kind of revising my picture. I'm thinking, oh, like maybe there are some really good parts, but this is not the norm. And certainly I'm not sure many people consider getting a postpartum doula, but it sounds like that's what you would do if you had to do it all over again is you would get a postpartum doula. Yeah, I would get a postpartum doula or... I mean, here's the thing. We live in a time where we are paying people for things that community used to do. Mm. But some people still live in community. If I had lived where I live now, I would have, yes, hired a postpartum doula, but I wouldn't have needed one full time. I could have had one twice a week. But my mom lives down the street. My mom's friends live all around. My family lives nearby. I would have had people coming over every single day. My mom knows that new moms shouldn't be alone. So my mom would have come over here and strained at my house and sat here and knit and held the baby so I could take a shower and made sure that I had enough to eat. And, you know, nowadays many women do have meal trains afterwards. Mm -hmm. So people sign up at your mother blessing or your baby shower and come by and drop off food. And depending on when that is, those could be people that could sit and talk with you as long as they know that what you're talking about is how you're doing, not about superficial stuff that doesn't matter to you when you're nursing a newborn. Nowadays, you have to hire a lactation consultant. But to, I talk about, you know, I have four aunts who each have three kids. If they all lived in the area, that would be a lactation consultant because one of them would have had the same problems I was having, at least. And collectively, we would have pieced it back together. I wouldn't need to hire somebody to teach me how to do that. Maybe we should, while we're talking about hiring a doula, maybe we should explain what is a postpartum doula because I'm sure some people, some listeners don't know. Postpartum doulas really vary because like many of these professions, they're very new. So what somebody comes to the profession with really influences how they serve women. But Ideally, a postpartum doula is someone who knows about these five universal needs and comes to the house and you can hire them hourly or you can hire them on a retainer for those first six weeks to make sure that all of those basic needs are taken care of. And basic meaning extremely important, not basic like, oh, my basic needs are met because my husband's home from work for 12 days and I have food in the freezer. It's like, the needs that you have, which are to rest. And for someone, to, you know, I have clients that I tell all this stuff to and then I call them postpartum and they're 10 days postpartum and they've gone out for a mile walk and they're still on Vicodin from their C-section. Mm. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? I get so upset. I'm like, get home and get back in bed. You don't even realize what you're doing because the body is still in flux. People, that's the thing. People are still in birth space. And so it's an altered state and they're doing things that they don't even realize because their consciousness hasn't caught up with where they are. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, I would totally be one of those moms who was out for a mile walk. I think I was out for a mile walk when my daughter was two weeks old. A slow one, but... Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. So you're just talking about this intensity of like, kind of like getting planning ahead to know, well, I'm going to be in this altered state. It's going to be this incredible transformation. And I, I think everything in our world underestimates the transformation, right? But we're going to be in this incredible transformation. And so to plan ahead to get kind of the support you need to not only get sort of the right food and things like that, but also to get the support you need as far as like, help me rest, help me kind of- Remind me. Yeah. Tell Mm -hmm. me to get back in bed. When I'm getting on my phone to scroll through the internet, tell me that I need to close my eyes for a little while. Mm. Abhyanga, it's, it's funny. I thought it was really funny actually when I was researching that they consider the massage exercise. And- that just made me laugh because to me, I was, I mean, this, we're so out of balance in white American culture, which is like laziness is the worst thing that you can possibly, like you can't be worse than lazy. It, like even dumb isn't worse than lazy. <laughs> uh, lazy is the worst you can be. So we, True. white Americans have that in our conditioning, like you can't just lay in bed. What are you doing in bed? Get up and do something. Like, what are you, you're, you can't sleep, sleeping. Why are you sleeping so much? Like, when I tell my parents I'm tired, they always say, why? I'm like, I don't know, maybe because I'm a single mom and I just wrote a book and I have a full practice. And I mean, I don't know why I'm tired. I'm just tired. Uh, <laughs> <Or> figure. <laughs> you're not supposed to be tired. So all of that conditioning comes up postpartum. and we need not to override because the system deeply does want rest. Even though you're saying you want to get your yayas out, if you got a rigorous massage where it was, I mean, these are, it's just, if anyone's had massage in Asian culture, this isn't like touchy feely energy work. Like this is rigorous, like lots and lots of long muscle strokes, joint circles to clear the system. You actually don't want to go for a walk after that. Hmm. You want to rest. You want to be cocooned. You want to seal in all that energy so that it doesn't get dispersed and thrown around. 
I think this is a call for every pregnant woman to schedule massage at your house. I know masseuses do come to your house. Like there's definitely some traveling masseuses. So I, I wish I had. Women no. only got, get one of those. That's what they'll remember about their postpartum time. Once it's, a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be, that would be optimal, optimal for sure. And you know, in Korea, it's every day in wow. India, every day. Wow. And it's wow. together, it's not considered like a separate service. It's just some person in the family knows how to do it. And when someone has a baby, of course, that person in the family is going to go do that. And mm-hmm. same with the cooking. It's not like they get out a cookbook. It's like women, generation after generation, know, oh, if the blood is that color, then you need more brown dates and you need jujubes. And if it's this, oh, you should steam a pear because that, you know, it's like they know that food is medicine and they know how to use it because it was passed on that way. But I go to my postpartum visits and my clients are drinking soda and eating Subway, thinking they're doing well because they're eating meals, you know, and it is better than not eating at all. But the foods need to be warming. They need to be easy to digest. They preferably they're fresh and homemade. What are some foods that are particularly good in the postpartum period? Bone broth is great. Soups in general are really good. Kitchery is great. What's kitchery? Kitchery is dal and rice cooked together, so it's really soft with vegetables. Okay. Okay. Um, really easy to digest. A lot of people do kitchery fasts. It's spiced with like cumin and black mustard seeds. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, porridgey type of things. Mm-hmm. After the first ten days or two weeks. When the lochia, the the blood is starting to diminish more, then you do more building foods like chicken soup and lots of seaweed soup, things that have a lot of minerals. Well, this is great because my go-to meal when I am bringing food to my postpartum friends Uh, has always been lentil soup and fresh bread. So (laughs) that's great. I had an instinct for lentil soup. (laughs) That's great. And then your final universal need that you talk about is contact with nature. Why is that so important? I mean, the more I talk about these universal needs too, the more that I'm just like, this is the recipe that our culture needs. Yes, totally. You know, it's specific to this time. And the reason it's called a need is because people think of these things as luxuries and not necessities Mm -hmm. Um, but we're mammals and nature has its own pace and so even this thing about rest is part of cooking and having food and part of being in contact with nature is that we see that we can't rush time you can't make rice cook faster you can't you know I send I have some postpartum doulas who work with me and I send them to new moms and some of them cook the food at their house and bring the food but some of them when the mom's Certain kinds of moms, I'm like, no, I want you to go and cook in their house. I want them to sit with you and watch you cook and see the four different pans on the burner and be in that energy of connecting with food, connecting with the earth. And you can do connect with nature through food and herbs. And But yeah, also just broadening our perspective and breathing with the rhythms of the season with what's happening outside of our situation. So Kimberly, you've like brought all this wisdom out and you've 
looked at cultures all around the world and, and you're sharing this. And I'm so happy to hear that you are sharing your story again and again and again, because we need to hear this story because it's a really un, not very much told story. So you've been bringing this out into the world. Now you're a single mom. How do you bring some of this wisdom into your own life now, now that your child's old, daughter, right? She's older. Yeah, she's 10. Well, you know, I went through a postpartum period with the book. And during that time, I got sick. And I called in an Ayurvedic practitioner and got an Abhyanga treatment, which was amazing, and hired a friend of mine to cook meals for me. And it was incredible. I had meals for like, like really good meals for five to six days. It was so awesome. I'd never experienced that before. Mm. And rest. I mean, for me, rest is my savior. Sleep is my savior. I just need a lot of sleep, 10 hours of sleep, usually nine, 10. And I rest when I'm tired. So if I have clients and I have a window, someone's late, I lay down in between clients. I say no to a lot of things, mm-hmm. which is hard sometimes, but I have a very specific mission right now. And in order to fulfill that mission, there's a lot of extra stuff that has to go so that I can be the mom that I want to be and also build the life that I want to build for us. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I ask for help a lot continually, which is people say it gets a lot easier for me. It's, it is easier, but still not easy. But I just, even yesterday I was like, I'm not asking for as much help as I need. And my mom's asking me if she can help me and I'm not getting back to her and I do need help. So I just keep asking for help and being humble and accepting it. I think that's the thing. Like we, you know, it's this kind of like stoic individualism. Like we feel so many people feel like they can't get any help. Like they can't get the support they need. We can't maybe spend the money or we can't take the time or we can't ask our friends and things like that. And I think it's really harmful. Sometimes our individualistic culture, I mean, I really seeing so much more, you know, and I was raised in a really individualistic way and I see so much more interconnection now. And that whole idea of being able to giving ourselves permission to either ask for help or slow down. Like I know what you're talking about. Like I realized recently I was like, I can cancel this thing. I can slow this down. I can give myself some space and time. And I don't think many of us give ourselves permission to do that. And I'm, I don't know. It's just, I'm not sure what I, it's kind of a rant there. (laughs) If you don't give yourself permission, what usually happens is that something breaks down, right? Like that's what happened for me is I was supposed to go on a vacation and I knew it. My body was telling me you need In September, I needed like a week vacation, but I'm a single mom. And so if I take vacation, I both have to tell my daughter that I'm going somewhere without her Mm -hmm. and not for work. And then I have to ask my parents or somebody for help for me not like I, you know, I work out of town a lot, but I to say, no, this time is for me was a completely different edge. Like, no, I'm just going to go and have a good time by myself without you. And (laughs) somebody else is going to take care of you. I couldn't do it. I was planning on it and I had this backpacking trip I was going to go on and then the backpacking trip got canceled. And when it got canceled, 
then I was like, oh, I'll do a staycation, which is just so dumb that I thought that was even possible when like what I realized during that month was that being a mom is more than a part-time job. And I have like four other jobs. So I wasn't doing the four other jobs, but I was still doing the mom job and there was no rest because if I'm doing my other jobs, then I'll say, oh, just get lunch at school or I'm more flexible with myself on my mom duties. But if it's only mom, then I'm making all the meals and doing all those things. Like it wasn't restful at all, but it really didn't matter because by that time anyway, that that week rolled around, I got so sick and I was sick for three weeks. So instead of one week of vacation, which would have cost me like $1,500, I spent like $6,000 on all kinds of treatments to try to get better. I lost, well, I didn't spend $6,000 on treatments, but I spent, you know, whatever, let's say $1,000 on treatments, acupuncture, IVs. I had to get a chest x-ray because I ended up getting really sick. And then I didn't work for three weeks instead of not working for one week. And it was just such an obvious lesson for me. And in fact, I enjoyed being sick because it gave me the permission to cancel everything. And I had an excuse because I sounded awful. I lost my voice for a period of time. And it was just like, wow, this is what your system needs to do to get your attention so that you stop taskmaster robot. Like you stop that part of yourself that just will not let go. And the only way you'll stop that is if you're totally sick and like incapacitated. And I got the message. I'm like, I don't want to, this whole mission is extremely important, but it's not that important. It's not more important than my health. It's not more important than my relationship with my daughter. So that's an extreme example, but I think most people can relate because that's why lots of people have autoimmune disorders. It's the boundary that they can't establish for themselves. It's like, now they can say no to things because they don't feel well rather than just saying no because it's just too much. Like, no, I can't be on the PTA and fulfill my creative dreams. No, I can't write this check to, for this field trip because it's taking away from this other thing. And it's radical, but it makes sense. It's the demands on our system are so high right now. And that extends beyond the postpartum period, but especially in the postpartum period, which makes it even more important to have that protected space. And, you know, if you think your kids are seven and 10, it's like, we just got on Facebook like 10 years ago. You know, like, I mean, I didn't have a smartphone 10 years ago. Mm. I only got a smartphone three years ago. So I wasn't sitting around scrolling through my phone while I was nursing. Mm. That wasn't even possible. So life has changed a lot. And these needs have not, these needs have been what they are since the beginning of time. Like these are things that cultures have recognized. Even here in the US, we had this tradition a hundred years ago. So it's just, we need to remember it and value it. The lying in period. So yeah, Kimberly, I could talk to you for so long. I want to respect and honor your time. And because there's so many other things i passionately and interested in that you do. So maybe at some point we can have you back on the podcast when you have more time and you aren't so close to the book. But in kind of a parting words, I'm thinking about this idea of not only just the postpartum period and moms maybe who are expecting, but also for moms who are past that point, what do you want their takeaway to be from this conversation? I want their takeaway to be 
that their experience is just as important as their baby's experience. And those experiences are actually inextricably linked. Mm. So their own healing and their own well-being is extremely important. And not only that, but I want people to awaken their inner doctor and their inner teacher. And rather than going outside of themselves to all the specialists for opinions, that they really return to the community, return to trusted friends, aunts, mothers, grandmothers, because we have that collective wisdom. We don't need professionals who don't even know us to tell us how to do very fundamental things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. And so where can people find more about the book, about the work that you do, et cetera, and connect with you? Yeah. Uh, my website is magamama.com, M-A-G-A-M-A-M-A.com. On the website, if you sign up, you get an audio of how to do a proper Kegel. It's kind of, I call it like a mapping so that you can really understand where your pelvic floor is and how it works because a lot of times that's the only advice women get about pelvic health at all is just do Kegels. Same with postpartum, do Kegels. But people don't really know what they are or should they be doing them. So there's a map that takes you through that. The book's available on Amazon. It comes out December 26th, but it's available for pre-order now. I really appreciate any reviews, comments. The way that the book world works is the more traffic to the Amazon page and the more that's there, the more the retailers get interested. And I have a podcast also called Magamama with Kimberly Ann Johnson. It's about birth, sex, motherhood, womanhood, intimacy and relationships. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram, all the places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly. I love talking to you and I really appreciate the work that you've brought into the world. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It was pretty eye-opening, wasn't it? I mean, I love those five universal needs, rest, nourishing food, loving touch, companionship of wise women like who is thinking about that when we are pregnant right we need to really start to change the conversation don't you think I hope that you will share this conversation share this podcast with young people you know share this podcast with people who are expecting let's start to open our eyes and really build awareness about what's going on if you have any questions you can always email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com like I said, I am taking rescheduling calls for coaching for people who are interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching right now. My practice is currently full, but we're talking about 2018 and getting started early in the year. So exciting to make a new year and really dedicate the year to a new change. And there's a few spots for my year of transformation. That is a really exciting and wonderful relationship. I love that so much. And you can find more about that at mindfulmamamentor.com under the work with me tab. And it's always helpful if you subscribe and leave a rating. I really was hoping for 100 ratings by the 100th episode in iTunes. And of course, ratings at Stitcher and wherever you listen are really, really great. But um, if you want to support, please, please leave a rating. That's it. I'm just wishing you a beautiful, beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace in this time of year. I'm wishing you some quiet, some slowness, some time for reflection. Have a great week, friends. Namaste. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.